Can you believe it? We're up to episode six of the Awkward In Between podcast, and I'm pretty thrilled because um, we we've released you know the three episodes on air before we recorded this one. Yes, yeah, we are finally live. We are actually real podcasters. Yeah, so by the time people are listening to this, there will be five, well, this will be the sixth episode. There's five already. Yeah. Do you feel like this is like a Marvel movie where we're just kind of going back and forward in time and (laughs) multiverses and things? Yeah, yeah, a lot of podcasts like to create that illusion, right? It's kind of like everything happens in real time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like no, no, no. Uh, this will be episode six, but we've only released up to episode three. And then what was the last one we did? Oh, that's right, we that's chatted right. to Chad, right? Chad, yeah. yeah. But amazing. Well, we've already, you know, there's been quite a number of people listening to this podcast. So thank you. And by all means, please get in touch on Facebook. Let us know what you think. Um, I'm really curious because I know when we were speaking to Leanne a couple of episodes ago, um, you know, she was kind of talking about the experience of, you know, for her and the idea of faith being something that everybody experiences. And I was kind of curious, well, is there somebody that doesn't have that experience? Like an, yeah. someone who's so, you know, convinced in their atheism they go well I've never had the feeling that there's something bigger or more and yeah jump on give us the comments let us know different views yeah absolutely well up until now we haven't even really known where our social medias would be mm. uh, but we are on Twitter and yep. we are on Facebook uh, at this point so and Facebook look it's not perfect but it's not a bad place for a conversation at least you know what's funny in the last uh, 48 hours or so mm. um, the post I put up like a year and a half ago uh, that I've talked about in, in our first episode yes. as being quite catalytic to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, it, it's come back to life. Oh, wow. So I've had another like 20 or 25 comments and a whole bunch of likes and stuff because one of my friends from year 12, who we are friends on Facebook and loosely in touch with, he's listened to all our podcasts, really enjoyed it. He's commented a little bit um, to, to say thanks, you know, and, and he's enjoying it. But uh, I think after listening to that first episode, he mm. must have gone looking He's like, oh, what is that post that <laughs> was controversial, you know? And so he commented and liked a few of those. It must have jumped back up in everybody's feeds. And I've had to actually point out to people, um, just so you know, this was from over a year ago because <laughs> people are like, is this now, yeah. you know? <laughs> so that was really interesting to watch happen. Brilliant. It's <laughs> kind of hoping it was dead, Let's you know, in the water and it's come back to haunt me. Oh, social media is horrible <laughs> like that, isn't it? Like something that you said in, you know, 2015 suddenly comes back as if that's still your present thoughts and opinions. And Yeah. Um, well, and that's been really interesting, right? Because it's, it's led me to going back and reading some of what I posted and some of the comments and the conversation that happened at the time. And, and I'm kind of like, man, I'm in a whole different place again already, even in the last year and a half. So, yeah, fun times. Yeah. What's your take on where we are so far? And while you're doing that, I'm Ooh, going to crack open beer. because uh, we've got a beer. Again, full transparency, right? Like we're doing, drinking beers because that's something that we enjoy we are actually recording this episode at 9am in the morning because the guest that we're speaking to is also over in the US so we're catching him in the evening uh, now let us just, like, once again let's call it 6pm uh, Nashville time it's, that's exactly <laughs> what it is but we've got a oh yeah sounds good a so, wolf of the willows first chair coffee breakfast stout no, so, it's a breakfast stout so that's okay anyway exactly, right exactly uh, look I, I've I well interestingly I was just I've been thinking this last few weeks since we recorded our interview with Chad that will have been our last episode uh, about some some stuff we talked about. He talked at the time about um, honour culture yeah. uh, in a very positive way uh, and he was, uh, you know, we were talking about that in light of kind of how he runs his festival and, and likes to really honour the bands and, you know, some of how we used to run Easterfest back in the day and, and do that. But uh, I've been listening to a podcast out in New Zealand called In The Shift, and in uh, recent months, and I've kind of binged through them, uh, they've done a whole series of conversations about the megachurch experience and culture and I guess particularly the toxicity of uh, that environment sometimes. It's all come off the back of some of the Hillsong and also I think some more local New Zealand megachurch scandals uh, that have come out in recent months. and that's been quite challenging for me because I, you know, I did two years at Hillsong Bible College. Mm. I still have heaps of friends at Hillsong, uh, and uh, and I also spent years in a kind of I'm going to say pseudo mega church. It, it acted and lived and breathed like a mega church, despite the fact that we have maybe at its peak when I was there, you know, four or five hundred people at best show up on a Sunday. <laughs> but it was it was. Uh, 
you know, it, it was acting the way it wanted to be, Damo. It it's was, more than the 20 people I get showing up to my gigs. Well, it's more than we've had listening to our podcast so far. <laughs> and I've been encouraged by those numbers. <laughs> but, yeah, it just really challenged me because, you know, um, they talked a bit about honour culture in quite a negative light mm. because in some of those environments, you know, um, honour culture is quite toxic and it's all about honouring the leader, you know, and – and not so much about honouring everybody. Mm. Uh, they would they would not admit to that. That would not be their perception of it. But in in practice, I think most people who've experienced it would agree that that's how it comes out. So I'm kind of like I almost I wanted to say something about that because there may be others out there who've experienced the phrase or the philosophy of honour culture in quite toxic environments mm. and gone. Actually, we don't. We're not a fan, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of just wanted to tip my hat to that because I have experienced that side of so-called honour culture as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And jump on the Facebook page, comment on that. I want to hear. Yeah, what are, what are your opinions? What are your thoughts on the whole concept of honour culture? I mean, I've got my own thoughts, but I need to wrestle with that a bit more. I think before I open my mouth on it. So, but jump on Facebook. Love to get your your ideas and your thoughts. We're going to get into our guest today, who I'm really excited about. Um, you were sharing with me his rap sheet off Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is pretty impressive in itself. He's a former Major League Baseball player. He's uh, good uh, beer, by the way. He's <laughs> been on The Bachelor in the US. Uh, he's a professional musician. He runs. Amazing seminars, workshops. Yep, yep, yep yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Life development courses, and he's uh, had a podcast of his own. Uh, it seems to be kind of in hiatus at the moment. Maybe we can find out whether he's planning to revisit that. But the Unravel podcast he's been running uh, over the years. So, they have plenty to talk about with Brady. Uh, should be a great chat. That's right. We got Brady Toops. Let's talk to him now. Brady Toops, really great to have you on the Awkward In Between podcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna start this off as awkward as it gets to begin with, okay? Because I, I actually met you uh, at an Easter fest in Toowoomba, almost probably eight years ago or yeah, so. Yeah, 2015. Now, I think, yeah, right. Uh, and Dave met you at the same time, and I remember we, you and I, um, and there was another guy, um, Steve, I think from Newcastle. We were sitting at a table in a coffee shop, just having a, yeah, a really good chat. Anyway, afterwards, after we'd been chatting, I contacted Dave, and I was like, "Man, I've got the biggest crush on that Brady Toops guy right now. <laughs> like, he is just amazing." And Dave was like, "I know." <laughs> Mate, it was. It, I've got to say that uh, not only did I also have a the biggest man crush on you that year, so did my wife. So it was like uh, almost every year at festival, my wife would ask me who my man crush was, and this year it was Brady Toops, and she's like, "Me too." <laughs> So you were well loved, man. You were you were well loved when you joined us at Easterfest back in 2015. Wow, this this is this is new information, new new information for me. <laughs> so so what's it like to be an absolute like just sex symbol of the world? Like yeah, the, <laughs> just to have that animal magnetism. Man, I don't know whether to feel like uh, honored or like to end the call soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just back out of the room and maintain eye contact. There's. <laughs> there's there's some conflicting feelings in my body, and part of it's to hire you guys from my hype man because that feels really nice, you know. So. <laughs> no, I think you and I met just a little before that. I actually remember sitting around in a bar in Hamilton, New Zealand, uh, when we actually yes. met, which led to us booking you for yes. the festival, right? We we met uh, when you were involved at uh, Festival One, right? Uh, I think in January That's that right. year, yeah. I uh, had the pleasure yeah. of meeting uh, Lisa and Michael Gungor that same bar that same evening, but I ended up sitting around chatting to you most of the night from memory. <laughs> Isn't it wild how this, this these kind of things happen? You know, uh, I think a little video was recorded on YouTube of me playing the piano, a song I wrote, and then that was found by the New Zealanders, and then they invited me up the festival and then we had some mutual friends and then you guys stopped by and it's just fun it's fun how small the world becomes it's at the end of the day uh i really love you know it began with music but it, it continues on with friendship and uh, it's you know that's sort of my i think that's a, kind of a personal value system uh that i hope things progress beyond some level of just kind of strict professionalism and and that we get get to share lives and across the world and friendships and you know whether that be once a year or 
more frequent. It, I, I love I love that I have friends all over the world. Um, I'm grateful that you guys reached out to have a chat. And I know and I know that we've I know that we've all progressed in various ways since that first meeting in 2015. A little bit. I can you up. <laughs> Wait, that's so funny. You just read my segue. That's what I was about to say. Since then, <laughs> I mean. I did have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we feel like you're the guru and we're just sitting at your feet to learn here, my friend. That's right. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you ever listened to um, the, like the, the Rob cast with Rob Bell. And I listened to that a bit. And there's times yeah. where, where he'll have guests interview him. But before too long, he suddenly just takes back over again. And it's like, <laughs> and I'm like yeah, you yeah. can't help yourself, man. <laughs> yeah. Blood. So let's talk about then, like you mentioned, you've got friends and stuff all over the world. So I'm assuming that having like, you know, interaction with various cultures and people and you know, just different spheres of life, that really opens oneself up to being able to see the world in ways that if you just stuck around in like a, you know, a white middle class community, you wouldn't understand. Share with me some of that experience. Like what are some of the things that you've found that have just blown your mind as far as just people that you've met that lived in ways completely different to what you were used to? Hmm, that's such a massive question. You know, what comes to mind when you ask that question is, I was really influenced early on, maybe 10 years, five, 10 years ago, probably started 10 years ago, I started reading uh, some of the Franciscan priests' writings, Richard Rohr, and he talks about how we grow and evolve and change throughout our lives. And he says there's there's a there's a couple factors that uh, that he's found that consistently transforms us. He goes one, it's it's experiences of great pain. Two, it's experiences of great love. He goes oftentimes those are two sides of the same coin. And he said thir- thirdly are ethnic experiences. Uh, what he what he calls ethnic experiences, which are experiences that are outside of your natural habitat, the natural world that you grew up in, and that could be something as simple as reading a book about uh, by an author that has a lens of the world that's totally different. But more so than that, I've found um, being immersed in cultures that are so different than the one I grew up in are completely life changing. Um, you know, it's, it's funny that you grow up and we're told a certain narrative, a certain story about the world and ourselves, and it seems to make complete sense. And when we're in our late teens and early 20s, um, we, you know, our I, I or we oftentimes prove to everyone else, try to convince them that our narrative of way of seeing the world is correct. And then you hit 30 and it's like, wait, what? what's going on there's usually enough heartbreak enough <laughs> enough new experiences where you're like wait maybe maybe the maybe i don't know everything and then now I'm, i actually just turned i turned 40 last year and i can tell you for a fact that i hardly know anything and i also can tell you for a fact that it's not even about knowing things anymore in the sense of the mental cognitive constructs you know I used to think that life was about life was about believing the right thing, and uh, and I and I even in this process of kind of shifting belief was trying to find the new belief of the way that I saw the world that was more accurate or more beautiful or more helpful, and then I had a few experiences and we can kind of get into them at some point in the conversation, but I had some experiences where belief. I had an experience where I was like, belief is uh, is a very low level experience of life. Um, it was like I was living at this plane of existence that was kind of trapped in the mind and con- constructs. And I was like, oh, that's not even living. And I found some, some things more beautiful <laughs> that transcended the mind in a sense. And so... Some of those were, um, you know, meeting various people or traveling to various countries, and some were um, with the with the help of various like medicines, plant medicines, and things like that. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're the type of things like once you see, you can no longer unsee. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. which is a, a, such a great saying. I just want to come back to, you know, and we, we will go in some of those experiences and stuff. I want to come back to the whole idea of, you know, suddenly turning 40, because I'd say you and I must be the same age, because I turned 40 last year as well. Um, and there's this real sense, because I had that same experience going, I'm, I'm at this age where, in some ways, society is saying, I should have it all together by now. I should be like some successful, you know, career driven, whatever it is. And in my mind, I'm, I feel like more of a child now than when I was a child, as far as my just sense of, um, as you say, just not knowing anything. Like, I'm like, this world is just such a mystery to me right now, and I've got nothing figured out. Is that kind of similar? Yeah. Well, I think it's similar in the sense of um, when we grow up and we're really young, it's almost like everything is brand new, right? It, we, don't, we don't know. We don't even know what this is, a cup. It's like, oh. And then, and then somebody looks at you and says, cup. And you're like, cup. And it, so we learn what everything is, right? Oh, that's that. And this is this. And, but, but pre that, it, everything was this experience. It was like, Wow, this is—it's an experience. Like water, cold water, like in my mouth, down. My, like I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Or like a sunset. Wow, this is incredible. And then, you know, we go through these various experiences in life, and they—some are beautiful, and some are overwhelming, and some are really painful. And it's almost like I don't know if you're similar to, to me, Damien, but like all of these experiences kind of started to get lodged in my body in various ways. You know, I read, I read the book, the body keeps score. Well, I didn't read the whole book. It was kind of intense, kind of long. I'm still working my way through it, but I'm, I'm a kind of a student of the human experience and psychology. And I've been on this journey in the last five years, 10 years to kind of understand, understand myself and all of this. And, you know, I, I, I think that where I'm at now is over the last five years, I began to read, feel all the overwhelming experiences that my brain kind of like categorized and named that I've had in a way that like some of these built up, uh, I don't know, backlog or some people call it trauma or whatever, they started to kind of like free up parts of my body again and I began to kind of capture back some of that wonder of the human experience, you know, rather than going like, oh, don't want to feel that, oh, can't be, can't do that, you know, and I, and it feels like it's kind of like a second, I think, I think Richard Rohr calls it like a second naivete, right, like, we can't go back, we can't go back to becoming five years old again, but we can capture a second naivete, where, where it's almost like, uh, I, 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 a guy, uh, the hero's the hero's journey guy. What's his name? Um, uh, Joseph Campbell. He's got this beautiful quote that says, "Every feeling fully felt is bliss." Uh, and and so like anger fully felt is bliss. Like sadness fully felt is bliss. Like joy, excitement, all these feelings. And I think I'm coming back to this place where like I went through. I went into the cave. <laughs> I faced faced my demons. I've faced some really intense things, and I'm coming out. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. The human experience is incredible, and uh, and I'm and I'm starting to be able to feel all the things that my nervous system didn't think was safe early on, and and so yes, in a sense, I am feel like I am returning, but in a sense, I'm returning as an old man but with a young heart in a sense i don't know that i'm that old but <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so interesting listening to you guys talking about all of that uh both you know just gone 40 last year and uh and thinking back to when i was 40 which was uh i was 42 when easter fest came to an end so when i was 40 i was I felt like I was at the top of my game, right? Like I was, I was running the biggest Christian music festival in Australia and, and uh, it was all, you know, it was all felt great. Like it was all the way it should be. Uh, and, I, and I kind of feel like even though I have been on this journey as long or longer than, some, than you guys have, I feel like I'm, I'm almost on the back foot because I feel like I'm carrying more baggage for having spent more years thinking in a certain way, naming everything, you know, knowing, needing, thinking that knowing was the, you know, I'm believing uh, was the answer. 
and and I kind of feel like I'm got more to unravel than than maybe you guys even have. Like you kind of have been able to leapfrog me. I th- I often think this with you, Dame. I like I kind of feel like I'm chasing you on the journey sometimes. You know, like. I remember when we were on radio together, which was around that same time, and you were like, "Let's do Rob Bell. Let's, you know, here read this Pete Rollins book," and 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 I would read it and kind of be like, "Oh, I'm, I don't think I'm quite here right now." And now, you know, six, seven, eight years later, I'm kind of like, "Hey, can I borrow that book again? <laughs> I think I'm ready for that now." You know, uh, so even though I I got like what ten years or so on you, nearly like I'm pushing fifty. Uh, I, I kind of feel like I'm chasing you because, and, and maybe that's because you've had a little less baggage to discard uh, because you've kind of started that mm. journey a bit younger. I don't know. I want to comment about that, Dave. I have this theory that, like, um, that the world evolves together. That it's almost like we are. I know there's so much emphasis on individual individuality and everyone got to do your own journey, but like. There's this collective experience that is it is what it is to be human, and there are there are movements and seasons of time where things open up in our understanding and consciousness. And when they open up, they open up to the five year old as well as the ninety year old. And we're we're almost all on this we're on this similar journey together and there's people that are more at the forefront of it and there are kind of people that are still holding on to the thing that's dying and then there's all these people in between but we're all kind of collectively moving together and you know the difficult thing is like in America now there's like you're seeing really crazy shit go down right where the old understanding of the world this a fear-based understanding of the world is is still holding on, right? And it, it comes out in like corporate greed, and it comes out in like school shootings, and it comes out in like all these crazy things. And the, the interesting thing of, is about the pain of all of those, as tragic and horrible as it is, will actually be the thing that may save us in the end. It'll it'll be the thing that the younger generation will go. We will never allow this to happen in our in our world. I was reading a book the other day that that the guy said um, every new uh, season of scientific discoveries, like let's say in the medical community, happened when the old regime who saw the world in a certain way died off, and the new regime was able to imagine and believe. And look for something that they were told didn't even exist. And out of that came all these new discoveries. And so I, 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 think, I think I find it fascinating. Like, you know, without the container that you developed, Dave, Damien probably couldn't, you know, be free to fly in the midst of it. And now and then you go, oh, I'm following you. But then he, and it, this is the dance. This is the journey of what it means to be human. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. I, I've got to admit, I look at my kids and their friends uh, and that generation. And it actually it's funny, you know, like generationally we, we hang shit on each other all the time, right? Like I'm always hassling Damo about being a millennial as a, as a you know, classic Gen Xer. Uh, and then my kids are that next generation along. Uh, I'm not even sure what they're meant to be called. Who cares? But, uh, you know, and we, we can, there's so much we can hang on them and give. But when I look at the things that really matter, when I look at their hearts for justice and equality and, and like you said, that kind of, no, this, we're not okay with the world looking like this, uh, it's just, it actually gives me some hope. You know, like I have real hope for the future because at some point, yeah. Those of us, I'd like to think I'm hopefully going with them to some extent, but, but you know, and those that have gone before us who, who are stuck, right, just stuck in what they've always known will become less influential and, and these kids will reinvent the world. Yeah, and I think that's a great um, point that you made about America at the moment. I mean, we only see from a, a distance here in Australia, and I'd love to hear more about what the experience is like for someone like yourself living in America. But mm. from where we sit, 
um, it almost looks like you've got this conservative regime, um, this conservative way of doing things that has all been protecting you know, the, the wealth and the dominance of a particular class of people, which has often been characterized by you know, like white males, white straight males. Mm-hmm. Um, but even within that, it's, it's elite, rich, wealthy white straight males because there's plenty of white straight males that are being completely oppressed by that same system. Um, but you see this yeah. conservative cl- um, capitalist class clinging on violently mm. to this, you know, to, to want to hold control over this. Um, and as you say, it's like it's almost destructing itself. Um, that's how it appears. Mm. Like from Austra- where we sit, watching from from afar in Australia, we go, "Wow, man, America just looks like you know, um, like a dystopian nightmare at the moment." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think I think um, that's a fair that's a fair way to see it from a distance. I, I think the difficult thing is this: um, what we see broadcasted on the news today as the narrative of what is happening and what is what is happening in America and happening in the world is not the truth of what's happening in the sense as like a holistic truth. You know, the difficulty is that the more intense and the more, uh, you know, uh, exaggerated possible, it's such a, it's, it's such like, it's, it, 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 the difficult thing is, is that's creating a world where kids believe it's better to commit suicide than it is to live in the world they're believing that it's better to die than it is better to live and so um we've got a lot of old white men in america who are holding on their dying breaths to power and money and the saving grace is the saving grace is you know and the truth is we we're all trying to hold on we're all in some level of a survival instinct and the, the, you know, the beautiful thing, and I think the thing that we've lost is in American culture is that oftentimes the older men and women are supposed to be the gurus and the sages. They're supposed to be the ones that we sit in front of and we learn from their wisdom. But something, something happened, and it might be the trauma... It might be lineage trauma, years and years, stemming back from the Great Depression in America into the baby boomer movement, into the hoarding, you know, the hoarding of wealth and saying, I never want to go through that again. World War II, right, through these various wars, like, like we're seeing, like, we're seeing a, an, the older generation, this isn't 100% what I'm about to say, but we're seeing a, an older generation who never blossomed in their knowing of themselves and emotional intelligence and who are just like really big old teenagers who you know are holding on to money and power and their fancy cars and their big houses whereas the true development of one's life cycle is meant to transition into the second half of life where you begin to let all of those things go and you come the things of the small self, right? Uh, the ego, and you begin to discover what it is to be connected to all things, to be a part of the true self, and that is a massive dying process. Uh, and so, I think it is difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult to see such mindless, egoic babbling happening across the commentators of America. That is unfortunately the representation of america but i'll but i'll but i'll tell you i i mean i i think that i'm i'm an eternal optimist but i'm like our finest hours on us so i mean i really believe like there's there's like from love we came and unto love we're like we're moving and in between, it gets a really messy, but like pa- pain will lead us there. Pain has led me there. And ultimately, like pain hunts everybody down. 
and you know, I love I love Eckhart Tolle. He's a spiritual teacher that I got into in the last few years, and I've been to some of his retreats. And he says, you know, pain, uh, like, like pain is 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 uh, what did he say? <laughs> pain is is like su- suffering is optional. Pain is not optional. Basically, like like. Suffer, and so suffering is necessary until it's unnecessary. Like suffering will lead you, you to to your true self if you listen to it. And I think ultimately, like that's the gift. And I I don't love that way of transformation, but unfortunately, that's oftentimes that times is that's not the only way, but it oftentimes is the way that gets our attention. And we're going to see massive revolution. We're going to see massive revolution amongst all all institutions. We're political, educational, like we're we're financial. We're in a, we're in the midst of a massive transformation. And it's and the the hard thing about transform like re- revolution is that oftentimes when the old thing dies, there's just a it's a really messy process. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the challenge. Thing to be birthed. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the challenge, particularly you know, for for people like you know, for us that are wanting to bring about that change, to see that change. Obviously, you know, one of the the driving forces of of love is, um, you know, like, like love. It's it's passionate, but it's not abusive. It's not you know violent. It's not. And so when you're seeing these other people, you know, these not so much. You know, I don't want to say other people because I don't want to put it on the people. I want to put it on a you know, it's like a, a philosophy or a mindset or something else that's that these that's these people are driven by but you know there's still that sense that the people that are propagating this you know this um oppressive regime themselves are just humans like us on a journey right they're humans like us that are part of a bigger narrative of of life um i guess my question at this is how do you find like how are you able to still have a degree of uh, compassion and love and honor to those that are propagating a belief system or propagating a culture that you know is destructive. Yeah. Wow. What a question. That's. I mean, uh, like, the question alone just makes me go like, Yeah. Wow. How do you do that? <laughs> That's amazing. Like, I would sit here and think about it for the next like week. Um, you know, one of the things that First, I would say, I don't know, but I would also say that oftentimes we have to make an enemy without, like externally, when we are unwilling to face and be with the enemy within, meaning the shadows, the shadow parts of ourselves. Um, And when we can't, when we haven't learned to make Peace with all the various parts of ourselves, then we we obviously can't make peace in the world with other people that um, kind of mimic or mirror those those shadow parts of ourselves. And when, like, on the, on this journey for myself. You know, I've uncovered really intense, like, slave driver parts of myself, right? Like, there's there's this critic. There's this critic inside me that's really mean and, like, really, like, tries to get me into line and, like, speaks really harsh things. And I guess I would say the first step would, would be how do we bring some love and compassion to all the parts of ourselves that we have a really difficult time accepting? You know, I, you know, we've, you know, so I've heard it said, you know, you've got like a five-year-old part and you've got a 10-year-old part and you've got a 16-year-old part and 21, you know, I've been really embarrassed of some of those parts or even like Dave, you talked about like, there's your 42-year-old self, like was leading this charge of this movement around this festival, believing he was doing so much good in the world, right? And like, and he was, right? And then you now you're I don't know how many years later seven eight years later and you're like I don't see the world the same way and like how how do you how do you feel in your body when that part of you or that or that that person that forty two year old Dave like how do you feel do you feel like this love and compassion he was just doing the best he could or are you like embarrassed by him and I think that's where it begins right I think like how did it how did it what what is it the Dalai Lama or whoever said like 
was asked, how do you end, how do you bring peace to the world or how do you end war? And he's like, well, first end, end the war inside of you. And, you know, it was Gandhi that said, be the change you want to see in the world. And I, I know this like is all like very idealistic and lofty, but I'm kind of like, I really do think it starts here. Like, how does one show compassion to another if they first haven't allowed compassion to be entered into their being for for themselves, right? Yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's big. And it's funny because I've just had the thought too, um, and you mentioned the hero's journey before, which kind of prompted this. But like when you look at some of those people, you know, those individuals that brought about significant change, like, you know, like, so, um, like, this is where I still hold, you know, great esteem for someone like Jesus, right, who almost, you know, like brought down in some ways an entire, again, system of oppression and yet he didn't do it violently. In fact, for Jesus to live in honour, he rubbed up against that system so much with the way he was showing love and compassion and, and accepting people that the system itself ended up killing him, right? Like he, he literally got killed by an oppressive system, but he was so willing to stand for, the, you know, and push against it. And it was having the system kill him that in a sense then started the the movement that brought that entire system to its knees and you see the same in like you know it's like star, like star wars right let's just take go jesus to star wars like the same sort of thing happens when you've got obi-wan who sacrifices himself in order to show a young luke skywalker this is how we can actually live in this world without needing to revert to the ways of the dark side so to speak um, and you see that with you know, your Gandhis, your Nelson Mandela's, these people that for them to live in a way that confronts and challenges and, uh, and pushes against the oppressive um, conservative forces, it comes at huge personal cost. But they were willing, that, that sacrifice of themselves was worth more than them needing to also become conservative over their own safety. Mm. That scares the mm. shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, what you were saying before about I'm, you know how I you feel, look. I feel very inspired. I feel inspired mm. that. Yeah, what you were saying before, Brady, about um, you know how do we treat those versions of our old selves is is really interesting. I was saying to Damien before we started chatting to you, I've been listening to a podcast out in New Zealand that's been uh, running a series looking at kind of megachurch culture. You know, there's been a bunch of uh, interesting scandals down here uh, on this side of the planet around kind of Hillsong and and I did two years of Bible college at Hillsong, so that that's very close to me. Uh, a lot of friends still there and some of the churches in New Zealand as well. And, uh, you know, I spent a bunch of years even pre-Easter Fest in some environments like that in roles of kind of leadership in air quotes, you know, like running teams and, and teams of volunteers. And, man, I've been really having to try and, and work through the good and also the bad that I think I might have done in those seasons, you know. Like, to what extent did I propagate some of those really toxic cultures and, and kind of, I mean, starting, it's like a list forming in my head of people I need to go back and apologise to, you know, but uh, it's challenging to also be asked to consider, you know, like how I interact with the me that was then. Because you know, like, yeah, absolutely, the first feeling is, is kind of one of like embarrassment and, and almost the desire to go, ah, you know what, I don't want to go there. That's too hard, trying to reconcile that and, and re remake the stories that I told myself at the time, uh, rewrite those stories and work out what was real and what was true is, is man, it's hard work and it, it's really quite painful and, and initially quite embarrassing, yeah. Yeah, it's difficult, right? But then there's also this part where, like, you were doing the best you knew how in the season that you knew it. And, you know... <laughs> oh man I just had a memory flash before me because I, I wrestle with, I wrestle with these various things as well and you know like man it's like it's like how you know what is it uh, Carl Jung says until we make the unconscious conscious it'll direct our life and we'll call it fate 
and all of these things we're we're prop we're propagating we're propagating so many things and we have no idea and we'll look back 20 years from now and be like i can't believe it i'm like well we didn't we didn't know we didn't know and like you know even i think it was i keep talking about richard Rohr, but he i remember this quote he said the greatest critique of the old is the practice of the new so i used to be someone i used to you know when i when i was deconstructing and i was i i had had some painful experiences around like church and church leadership and feeling like this like kind of like they didn't there were some various groups of people that didn't empower anyone and they're really mission focused and weren't relational i had all these problems right and i was like oh you got to do this and a belief-centered belonging and all this kind of and i would just like kind of like go off on facebook or whatever i was reading you know the latest thing you know talking to my friends and i was like had this i was i was like had this war and this bone to pick and all this kind of stuff and i heard that quote and it yeah we've all been there right and, and like i i just had to, i had to hate something right and it, it's almost like it's almost by hating something you're actually propagating it which is a weird thing to understand like it, it, uh, or to even consider but when when i heard that quote like the greatest critique of the old is the practice of the new or you could say it this way um living a more beautiful compelling life or way of being is uh i think the apology in a sense you know i've i've had these seasons too where i'm like oh and you know there you know there's the 12 step there's a 12 step program and one of the 12 steps is like by all means possible make amends right and but there's also there's there's also this point where you just go like i can't make enough amends right like guys were you guys 13 and 14 and 15 like I was? Like, there's, it's impossible. Like, as much stuff as I did as a 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kid, you know, like, or as many times as I yelled at my mom because I didn't like the food that she made, like, it's impossible for me to make enough amends for, for all the wrong I've done. And I think that the best, like, the best apology is, like, is, is, is practicing or embodying a more beautiful way of being in the world. That's huge, actually. I'm just sitting with that for a second. I want to come back to, because um, let's, let's talk about some of the awkward moments that comes along you know, these sort of journeys. And one of the things you mentioned way back at the beginning was certain experiences that you had using various herbal medicines, I think was the term <laughs> that you used. Now, um, this is interesting to me because I think, you know, like so much in, in today's culture, um, and I want to be careful how I, I word this, but like obviously, um, I mean, there was the first time that I had tried marijuana, right? Um, this is an example. And for me, I was so scared to do it the first time. And I haven't done it a lot, but I was so scared that first time because I'd grown up in a church culture that it said, you know, you touch drugs and it's opening up your life to demons. There's got your social structure around you, your world that says, well, you know, like this will just completely wreck your life. Um, obviously, you've just got various laws and things like that happening as well. So there's all these guilt factors that are coming on top. So when you go into an experience, you know, and I'm, I, I'm just assuming that, you know, you might like things like, um, what's the word, I'm like, like mushrooms or something like that. I mean, I don't know, know exactly what you're alluding to, but going into some sort of, you know, hallucinogenic experience, whatever it might be, how do you approach that? carrying some of those guilt baggages that you have around you like what was it like for you the first time you, you had an experience like that yeah great question <laughs> really great question um yeah uh well one of the first experiences that i had was a mushroom experience and uh it was it was after about six months of like studying and reading and investigating about psilocybin uh psychedelic mushrooms and i almost felt like this it sounds weird but i felt like the mushrooms were calling to me <laughs> people are going to hear this and be like he is yeah. off his yeah. rock. Like, and, and see kids this is why you don't do shrooms <laughs> exactly exactly you know what? And the truth is, like, 
at the end of the day, the reason they killed Jesus and all the prophets and anybody that explored these territories is because they were like you. They think they thought that they were off their rocker, and you know sometimes. You, anyway, a side note, sidebar. But I, I had this, and you know, the truth be told, I, I was wrestling with like what I was told about all these things, and you know, like mushrooms in America is still. I mean, it, there's a lot of uh, laws right now that are starting to overturn it, and there's various research and you know psych like clinical trials and all there's all this amazing things that happen around reinvestigating mushrooms and psychedelics and that kind of stuff currently in america so i think we're not far off from it being like de illegal de illegalized yeah de decriminalized uh, is the word we use here yeah yep but uh we're you know we're actually we're, we're actually living in a world that is so complex, the complexities of our world compared to the world 30, 40, 50 years ago are enormously different. And the complexities that we're living in is causing a level of suffering. M mental health crisis is at an all-time high. And we're getting to a point where we're seeing the uh, limits of um, of like Western prescription, Western medicine, and the like, the prescription you know movement that we've had, and the and all the money that's behind that. Anyway, that's a sidebar. I got to this point where I, my suffering, my emotional and somewhat physical suffering. I'm talking about depression. I'm talking about anxiety. I'm talking about hypervigilance in my body. Like I went, this is about four years ago. I got to a point where I was maxed. My nervous system was maxed. If there was a loud noise that happened anywhere around me, I would, I would be triggered out in my body for the, the rest six, like six hours or something. I was, I was at such a point where I was like, I was desperate to find some kind of answers or relief from my suffering. And, um, you know, my story is kind of crazy, but, you know, everything, like, it felt like everything culminated at once, from deconstructing my belief systems to financial stuff to relational things to all, all the to physical stuff to career moves to purpose stuff to question. All of it got to this one point, and I was like, I don't know where to turn. And I did all this research, and I had a friend that had, had guided some journeys and also who had been on a lot of mushroom journeys, and he told me his stories, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm desperate for anything, and I, so I, so like, even though I had all those voices, like you talked about in the back of your head, that was like, hey, you shouldn't do this, and this is illegal, and you're gonna go to hell, and whatever, like whatever it is, I was like, I don't care, I, I'm miserable, and I need help, and so I, I did this like very like, spiritual guided, four gram psilocybin experience, and. I felt myself about 45 minutes in starting to let go of like, uh-oh, there's no going back. I'm about to go into wherever this is going to take me and I've got, I've got no, I, there's no backing out. I, I, I have to surrender to it. And then at about an hour, hour and a half in, I was laying in the water on this beautiful creek with my kind of like my upper body sticking out on the sand of the shore and my and my hands just wading in the water and I just went I there's nothing I've never had a more beautiful experience than this moment in my whole life and my friend said hey Brady why don't you stand up and I stood up and I started feeling the water and I was like wow I can stand up this is insane and so people don't what people, people don't understand about mushrooms is that it's not it's not the same as like alcohol or even marijuana. I'm, I don't really do, I don't do many substances. I'm at a point now where actually I think the greatest trip is like the human experience. Like this thing that we're living is an unbelievable trip that we're all a part of that like, it's amazing what we can experience in our body. But I have had a couple experiences that helped kind of awaken this kind of stuff inside of me. And um, I, I just had these moments where uh, I stepped out of kind of this like really fear-based survival fight or flight kind of um, experience of life into the oneness, beauty, wonder of all things. And I went, oh, this is what's possible in this experience. 
and trauma and life and experiences weighed us down. But it's almost like it like reconnects all these things in your brain that you're like, oh yeah. And I remember I was, you know, I was talking to a, a therapist friend and I said, what is it that transforms us? Like, what is at the heart of transformation? And he said, it's a brain, like, he said, it's a new experience. It's so like we have these stories and these narratives in our head because these are old experiences that are lines of code that are written inside of us. And the way that new lines of code and stories and narratives are written inside of our brains is through new experiences. So new experiences create an overwhelming sensation in our body. That sensation is then felt and then it's, it's, it's defined or try, it's, it's, try, it's, our brain tries to name it. And that's then what creates the story. So uh, the, the further I get into this, I move into this transformation process, the more I realize, oh, it's about new experiences. It's about new, safe, connected moments of love and dancing with pain and ethnic experiences that then help re rewrite lines of code inside of our being. And I know this isn't like a super like scientific way to describe it, but it's the only way that I know how to describe it. So that's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I've been sitting here, like our listeners obviously can't see you, but I've been sitting here the whole time. I'm kind of, you know, drawn to the uh, cross earring that you're wearing. Um, and, I, and I'm wearing a cross as well, but it's had me thinking about how my, you know, like I stopped wearing a cross for years. I've kind of got a new one. I'm wearing a cross again. Uh, but even just how my uh, interaction with that symbolism, let alone the whole tradition that obviously it draws from, has changed so much. You know, what I, what I feel like it means uh, in the big picture or even just to me. And it, it's also made me think about, I, I've been wanting to ask you about kind of your music, right? So when we met, obviously you were coming to Easterfest uh, as a musician. And I think it's safe to say that those, uh, the two albums that uh, you had out, which I have loved, by the way, and it's a couple of songs that are still kind of high on my playlist. Uh, so thank you. Uh, but, uh, you know, quite uh, influenced by that Christian tradition, I think a lot of that music. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm just interested to kind of hear you talk about how you uh, how you interact with that the tra that tradition these days. What does that mean for you, and where does it sit in in your life? And and also how you kind of relate to those songs that you wrote uh, mm. at a different phase of your journey. Dave, could you have asked a more intense, open-ended, <laughs> amazing question? <laughs> yeah. No, first off, the cross earring is a little bit of an ode to the 80s under Agassi tennis player. And it's a also, <laughs> but it's also, it's also an ode to accept, it's accepting all seasons of me and my life. And it's, you know, there's the, there's a saying, everything belongs. And even, you know, even though I may see the world differently than I did when I was 13 or 21 or there's still, that still belongs. And, you know, I grew up in a really small town. I grew up Christian. I grew up going to church all the time. You know, my twenties looked like diving really deep into like a lot of the, both like historical study of Christianity, but also the charismatic movement of uh, the modern 21st century charismatic movement. And then I was a baseball player and then, after baseball, I moved into making music, and I started writing songs, and I was, and I was very, very like Christian lens on the world. And so, my first couple records, you'll you will never find anywhere because I've deleted them off of anything. And then, <laughs> the uh, not not so much because of the lens, maybe a little bit, but mostly because I'm like, ah, those weren't very good. They weren't good songs anyway. I mean, they were fine. They were fine. My my mom loved them, right? She loved them. So. And there were a few people like them, but th you'll see two basic albums that you know on Spotify or you know anywhere. And one one's called one's my self-titled album called Brady Tubes in 2013 that I released, and then one's called Tried and True that I released in 2017. And Brady Tubes was like this collection of spirituals and hymns because I grew up in a church that sang hymns, and I you know I loved the old spirituals, and even when I go back and listen to them there's kind of like this like heartbeat 
there's this heartbeat about him, and even just like kind of like a, I hate to sound like super new agey, but like kind of like a vibration or a, um, just a vibe. Let's just call it a vibe. There's a vibe about it of like a really sincere heart that wants to connect to God and life and love, you know, and that's still very true inside of me. And, you know, some of the very specific words that I used in some of those songs, maybe I'd kind of be like, Meh. I don't know what I think about that now, but the spirit behind it still feels true. And, you know, I like what Derek Webb says, you know, the former Cademan's call guy, you know, he's like, how do you, you know, how can you still play your old songs? He's like, well, you know, the role of an artist is just to like basically capture or tell people what they see in the season that they see it. And so these are just, these are documented seasons of my life. And so it kind of comes back to that accepting all parts of you. And then my tried and true record was gospel influenced in the, in the sonic sense of it and some of the terminology, but it was really a, it was really a record that was inspired by heartbreak. You know, after getting off like the Bachelorette, being on that show and going through a breakup, that's really when my transition to kind of like becoming more of a singer songwriter happened because I went through heartbreak and I wrote about it. I've always written about the things that moved me the deepest and probably previous to that record i just hadn't been in very many relationships so most of my relationship commentary was around my relationship with god <laughs> or the divine so finally like i was, I was in a heartbreak really i was like oh i have to write about this so uh how do i currently relate to the christian tradition and the narrative that i was handed that i brought was brought up which i think was kind of the last question you asked dave um I think it's amazing. I think it's so beautiful. I I don't I don't attend church anymore because I don't find the the system or structure compelling enough. I I don't find sitting in a seat listening to go a guy talk, um, and then you know taking some grape juice and then um, you know like whatever i don't find it compelling the system compelling enough i've created other structures in my life of community and meaning making and belonging and and diving deep together that is more compelling to me um but as far as the narrative it's like you know i i've spent so many years trying to run away from like, let's say I grew. I, I actually grew up in a town of a thousand people. It's called New London, Minnesota. And like, as a small town kid, I spent so, so many years being like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta go bigger. I gotta go better. I went and played baseball at a high level. I went music. I went travel. Moved to Nashville. I was like, I'm gonna go big. I'm gonna go big. And last last week, I went home, and it was the Fourth of July. It was Independence Day in America. And I sat in the backyard of my brother and sister-in-law's home. And it's in a small town as well. Not the same one I grew up in. And these kids are running around with sprinklers. And, uh, and my brother was lighting fireworks and we were eating hamburgers. We were, we were making s'mores. And, you know, like, like if, if I, if I like, if I if I cross metaphor if I make that metaphorical as like you know the Christ, the world that I grew up in Christian all I guess I ran away from that for like thirty nine years or whatever thirty thirty five years I tried to go I tried to but I came back and I was like sitting there I was like this is amazing this is incredible this is perfect like the very thing that I've ran away from is now the thing that I've learned how to include. And so I think of that in the context of Christianity. It's like, like, I'm like, even though I may not see it the same way, I'm like, Jesus, wow, what an incredible soul on the planet. Like, this, like the Bible, I'm like, the Bible is fascinating. There's all sorts of crazy shit in that book. There's also like, there's also like really beautiful stuff in that book. And such is life. It's crazy shit, and it's beautiful. And I don't see it the same way, but I, but I like now I can dance with it. You know, like when somebody like 
when my when you know when my sister speaks up and she she's way more conservative Christian and she's like she goes to church and she finds a lot of meaning in that and she talks about her Bible study or what God's teaching her I'm like oh my God that's amazing like God is showing you things that are like that are adding value to your life and I might not like name it the same thing but I'm like. You know, the same thing's happening to me, but I call it this, this, and this these days, you know? It's almost this thing where I'm like, you know, like, we, I, I think that I've, I think that I'm at a place where, like, like, I think it's Joseph Campbell that says, there's the hero with a thousand faces. I'm, a, I'm okay now with, like, you and I, meaning me and whoever, talking about being like we're I'm like we're talking about the same thing even though we're doing we're saying different words and I'm really okay with, with not having to change people and that they can they can literally go on their journey as as much as they want to go on and I'm going to go on mine and we can find the places where our journeys dance together and I can accept the fact that I grew up Christian just like I can accept the fact that I grew up learning English it's similar, right? Like, it's my native tongue. So why would I get mad at myself for being, oh, that's just the way it was. But now my way I see the world is so much more expansive and so much more inclusive and so much more like, wow, everybody can be at the table. And this is amazing. <laughs> so I don't, know if it it, I don't know if it directly answers your question, but kind of like I try to uh, – like. Uh, kind of get broad strokes around. No, I love it, man. That's beautiful. Love yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's just, and that's a great, I think, connection there between like, say the, like the metaphors of religion, like, like Christianity being a language, like just like English is a language because at the end of the day, those things are just symbols that we use to, to make sense of, of the world as around us. Right. And as we say, you know, we grew up learning yeah. to call, you know, this thing a cup, um, but someone in Spanish called it something else, you know, and that was just the meaning they gave but it doesn't change the fact that we're both having an experience of a thing that we can look at and yeah. dance with. And it's really cool when you go to other countries. Cool. Like, I, I think German's amazing because the Germans seem to have words for, for experiences and feelings that in English we don't have, mm. like schadenfreude yeah. and stuff. And you're like, that's so cool that your yeah. experience and your native tongue has equipped you with that just in the same way yeah. that as, you know, like, yes, I'll have my experience of spirituality through a, yeah. you know, a Christian language, you know, dictionary yeah right. but you can meet someone like you know with a hindu dictionary and go holy shit the way you just something describe your experience this yeah. is giving me something that i didn't have from the experience i grew up with or the language yeah. i had you know damien and the other thing interesting that came to mind for me when you were talking was like you talked about how how jesus ultimately was murdered and you know the difficult thing is like it's it's really it's where all these things wow it's so amazing but there are moments where like Jesus flipped the tables. Like, he went in and just, like, wreaked havoc on the whole square. And you can't tell me that that didn't, like, create some, like, a little bit more evidence against the case to ultimately murder him, right? So, like, there's, like, there's this place where, like, if we keep going down this path, yes, we can, we'll probably end up looking completely crazy. We may flip some tables and at the end, we actually might get murdered. Like that, that's that, like that, that is kind of, that's the path. And that's kind of scary and it's kind of crazy. And ultimately, like you said, like the murder of Jesus is what revealed, it almost like revealed the insanity of, of the, it revealed the truth of the belief system that murdered him. It revealed its own insanity. And, and you know, the crazy thing is that 30, 40, 50 years after somebody gets murdered, then they become a god. And it happens, it happens in our culture today. You know, like you think of somebody like uh, Martin Luther King Jr., who was massive in the civil rights movement in America in the 60s, you know. And... Um, you know, if you could look back at his life, he, he was kind of crazy. Like, he, he was a bit of a womanizer and, a, like, you know, but also this massive visionary and, like, incredible and all these. Like, there, he wasn't super clean, you, uh, is what I'm trying to say. Like, he wasn't squeaky, squeaky clean. 
And then 40, 50, 60, 70 years later, he becomes a god, you know? And so, like, it's an interesting, it's an interesting study in human, uh, human existence and um, how we, how, how we both love to kill people and also how we love to godify people. I don't even think that's a word. Um, and so, so either end of the spectrum, they're actually, they're kind of a part of the same, they're actually kind of a part of the same thing, which is, which is both the people that call people like, you, you, sh- you deserve to die and you're a cult leader and then all, also the people that call people gods. It's actually kind of a part of the same level of consciousness and the we be, we kind of need to evolve past both of them. So that's a side note. <laughs> that's a good note. I think I, th- I think that's a great note to finish on. Actually, like in fact, we'll finish the podcast and going. At the we, end of the day, we may all get murdered. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but I guess my my last question to you guys would be: Wait, do you still have a crush on me, or do you, are you kind of think I'm kind of crazy? I'm more in love with you now than I was when I first met you. I think you're an amazing human being, Brady Toops. It's been oh, a great man. chat. Like we, we could chat for hours, my friend. Like I am no less in love with you than I was when we sat in that bar in Hamilton. And uh, I'm looking forward to hope. I'm hoping you're kicking around Nashville uh, in uh, uh, September because we'll be there for a few days uh, before. Actually, I'm nicking off to yeah. Atlanta to catch a major league baseball game before we head home too. So that'll be fun. My wife's decided she's a Mets fan because, and I've just so I'm like, well, I guess I'm a Braves fan then. I've been. They're doing all right. They're doing all right. I know very little about Major League Baseball in the States, but we're just trying to make sure that when we go, we're all set up to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'd well, love to hang out, I man. Hope to, I hope to see you, Dave. And I, I also just want to say I really, I really love what you guys are doing. I appreciate your curiosity about life. I love that you are, like, diving into all the things. And this is a, such a brave thing to do what you guys are doing, even having these conversations in the midst of people who see the world differently or different mindsets or people that come after you, there will be just as many people that love these conversations and love you as don't like you. And so I like, thank you for, thank you for, I just want to say personally, thank you for the courageous journey that you're on, that you guys have allowed yourselves to open, expand and grow and change and evolve. And and it's amazing. It's amazing, and keep going. And and um, we could, you know, when you when you when the trolls come out, just try to, to not read it. And we can we can have conversations about what they say and have laugh about it over over a over a beer. But you know, you guys are amazing, and thank you for continuing to reach out. I appreciate you so much. Well, thank you so much, my friend. Now, if people want to uh, look up more about what Brady Toops is doing in the world, what are your latest projects, and how do they find you, my friend? Yeah, you can always go to bradytoops.com or go uh, find my Instagram at bradytoops. Uh, I've, I've got some fun new things that I've been exploring. Uh, a couple of things I can't talk about quite yet, but they're on the horizon. Uh, I, I have a new, um, I have a new uh, thing I've started called Soul Games, Soul Games. It's kind of uh, built around uh, exploring some of these new transformational modalities and experiences. It's a community that I've created. Um, there's a there's a bit of a of a of a TV project that I'm working on at the moment that I won't give too many details about, but I'm I'm interested in exploring this on kind of a grander scale. Um, but yeah, always stay in touch with me on Instagram or at my website, and um, feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. And uh, awesome. Take care. Thanks, mate. Awesome. Mm-hmm.